Uh, I want to throw this picture up on the screen. Uh, let's see. This is a picture of a famous painting. It's called the Transfiguration. It was painted by a guy, uh, maybe you guys have heard of him, named Raphael. Um, I think he was brothers with Donatello and Michelangelo. No, that's the wrong Raphael. Uh, this is uh, the, the famous painting uh, by um, the Renaissance, writer, Renaissance painter Raphael called the Transfiguration. Uh, Raphael was, was, was tasked and commissioned with, with painting this huge painting. This painting is actually 13 feet tall by 9 feet wide. So this is a, a monstrosity. In fact, when Raphael was painting this painting, uh, he had some really poor health. And actually, he died before the painting was finished. So one, one of his assistants had to come through and had to finish this painting before it could be uh, finalized. The top half of this picture portrays uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. If you look on here, you see Jesus floating in the sky with a light around him. You see Moses and Elijah on either side of him. You see the three disciples on the ground. They're kind of shielding their eyes from the brightness of of, of God's glory. Uh, The three uh, uh, disciples there, uh, Peter, James, and John. But the bottom half of the picture, it's much, much darker. The bottom half of the picture, if you look, there's a a poor demon-possessed boy right here. And you see his mouth's open. He's kind of got foam coming out. Standing next to the boy would be his, his desperate father. His father's desperate for his son. And you see a bunch of disciples all around uh, the, 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 the son and the father. And if you look carefully, if you look at the descriptions, and you look at the, the, the faces of the pictures of those disciples, it's almost looking like they are, are, are helpless. They do not know what to do. And so this painting is really a painting of, of contrasts. Of contrast. On the top half of the picture, we see this marvelous display of the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. But below that, you see the effects of sin and, and unbelief and hostility. So this painting really puts a, a context, puts, puts the context and picture for us in our text today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Uh, Mark chapter 9. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. There's an usher in the back who would love to come and bring one to you. Um, Mark chapter 9. Uh, last week, we studied the transfiguration of Jesus. We saw how God revealed Jesus not just to be a good man and not just to be a, a great teacher, but how God revealed Jesus to be Emmanuel. God with us, God in the flesh. He revealed the glory of God through Jesus. And this was a mountaintop experience, both literally and and spiritually. This kind of would have been like you and I going on a great vacation. And you go on this great vacation, and you have all this fun, and you live this life you dream about. and, And you're like, man, if this could live like this forever, this would be awesome if I could just be like this forever. But again, this is a story of contrasts. And here in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, it's just a single day later. We're going to see it's a reality check. And we're going to see, kind of like when you go on that amazing vacation, what happens is you come back. And you know when you come back, Monday's coming. And when we say Monday's coming, you know that means school's going to start back up. That means you're going to have to go back to work. That means the house has to be cleaned. That means you get back to the way things really are. And this is what's happening here in Mark chapter 9. They come down off the mountaintop and they find an argument happening between the rest of the disciples and the religious leaders and the religious scribes. 
And what Jesus is going to do, and what Mark's going to do, is he's going to use this story to teach us two lessons about faith and about what faith looks like. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, and I'd like you to follow along as I read. You can follow along in your Bible, or you can follow along. The words will be on the screen as well. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And it says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them and said, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him and said, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grounds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, he said, how long has this been happening to him? And his father said, uh, his father said from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that some of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be cast, driven by, out by anything but prayer. And that is God's word for us today. Would you join me in prayer? God, we are thankful for the opportunity uh, to gather to hear your word. That, God, we aren't coming to hear a pastor's opinion, but, God, your word is going to be taught clearly today. God, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear and hearts to understand, and that our minds would be open, that you would be able to speak to us today, because God, that's what every one of us want today. God, I pray that your spirit would rest on us. I pray, God, that you would help us to put the distractions out of our mind, that you would help us to lean in, that we would be open to what it is that you were trying to teach us today, every one of us, that we would grow closer to you. Jesus, we love you, and we praise you, and we plead for your presence with us now. In your name, amen. So, Jesus, through this, uh, through this passage, is going to teach us two lessons about the faith. And the first lesson that Jesus is going to teach us is he's going to teach us that a strong faith in a weak Savior is without power. A strong faith in a weak Savior is without power. See, faith is only as strong as the object in what you're putting your faith in. I mean, we can believe in all sorts of, of self-assurance, and we can have all sorts of confidence and faith in our own abilities, in our own wisdom. But it's only a matter of time before evil of this world shows us that we are truly limited and how powerless we really are. And so great faith in a weak Savior means absolutely nothing. 
And oftentimes what we do is we begin to put our faith, our strong faith into a weak savior. And oftentimes that weak savior is ourselves. We put our great faith into ourselves about how great we are and how capable we are. And and we begin to put our faith in ourselves and our own abilities. And my life, you could look at the story of my life and you would see story after story after story of me putting a strong faith in a very weak savior, in myself. And in all reality, very few times that I put my faith in myself has that turned into something that I wanted it to turn into. For example, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, I was out golfing. I think I was probably with my brother-in-law. I don't know who I was with. And we're out golfing on the golf course. And if you've been to a golf course, typically what you see is the first and tenth holes are always near the clubhouse. That's just kind of the way it works. And so we were golfing and, and you know, Usually, I don't know if you've ever golfed, the only club I can hit well is the driver, okay? That's the only, that's the first shot, and I can hit that ball, and it can usually go a pretty good distance, and so we're golfing, we golf through the first nine holes, and I'm just killing it. I'm just killing the ball, like, just long and straight, and I'm just so excited, and I'm like, I'm a beast, you know? And so, we're coming up to hole number 10, and and hole number 10 by the clubhouse there's all the people around the clubhouse. And I'm looking, I'm like, hey, there's that golf pro. He's like supposed to be the head guy, supposed to be like the teacher, you know. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to show these guys what I got, you know. And so, and so I get up and I'm feeling all proud of myself. And, I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, kicking it out, making it look all good and step up there. And I'm like, hey, hey, brother-in-law, watch this. And I get up there and, and, and I swing and I, and I hit it off the heel of the golf club. And what happens is it kind of goes off crooked. And there was, a, there was a wood post with a sign that had hole number 10 on it. And my golf ball came off the heel, hit that sign, bounced backwards towards all the people. And all the people were like, hey! And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just dying in embarrassment. I can't look at anybody in the eye. And my, my brother can't do anything but laugh and point. And he's like, man, I don't even know who this guy is. See, in that situation, the problem wasn't my faith. I mean, I had a great and strong faith. I had plenty of faith and assurance in myself. It was the object of my faith that was the problem. I had a strong faith and a very weak Savior. One weak Savior that wasn't strong enough to save, or a weak Savior that couldn't even hit a golf ball straight with all the people watching. And so this is exactly what the disciples had done. They had a great faith in their own abilities. And they soon found out, just like we often find out, that we make very weak saviors. Story started in verse verse 14, where it says Jesus and, and Peter and John and James, they're coming down off the mountain and they find the rest of the disciples. They're arguing with the religious leaders and the religious scribes. And Jesus comes down and says, hey, what are you guys arguing about? What's going on down here? And it said that a, that a father came up to Jesus. A father came up to him, and, 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 and he, he brought his son. And he said, my son has been suffering from these, these uh, horrendous seizures. And I brought him to you to be healed. Now, what the son was dealing with, we learned, wasn't just a, a medical issue. There was a, a, a demonic issue dealing with this boy. Verse 17 and 18, it, just, it details it pretty vividly what this boy was dealing with. This evil spirit would throw the boy down and the boy would become rigid and he would foam at the mouth and, and he would grind his teeth. And in, and in fact, in verse 22, it says, many times this evil spirit took the boy and threw him into deep water or threw him into a fire. So you can imagine the boy had, had burn scars all over his body. 
Even worse, this evil spirit would make the boy mute, unable to speak, and deaf. The boy would have had kind of like this aquarium-like experience where he could see all that was going on around him, but he could not speak. He could not communicate through that. And any, any parent, any parent can picture the father in the story. He would have done anything to see his boy healed. And so he brings his boy to, to Jesus' disciples. He says, hey, you guys, you guys can cast out demons. Would you guys come and heal my son? But his disciples were unable to cast out the demon. Now, of course, we read the rest of the story, and we know that Jesus comes in later and says, bring the boy to me, and Jesus casts out the demon. So we know that Jesus ended up healing the boy. But what's interesting is after the story was over, after the story was over, the disciples immediately asked Jesus. They said, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast out this demonic spirit? I mean, they were perplexed. They probably were a little bit humiliated because people knew that the disciples were supposed to be able to do this. Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13, he had given them authority to cast out demons. And so these disciples have done it before. They should have been able to cast out demons. They've, people have seen that before. So they would have been a hum, little bit humiliated that what they said they could do, they couldn't actually do. But Jesus here is teaching us this lesson about faith about how a great faith in ourselves and how powerless we are when we put our faith in ourselves. Verse 28, Jesus says this, and it says, when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, he said, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast it out? And Jesus said to them this, he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, Jesus' answer reveals just how much faith they had in themselves, how self-reliant they were. I mean, he said that only prayer could drive out this type of demon. He didn't say, he didn't say only long prayers can cast out this kind of demon. He didn't say only passionate prayers or theologically correct prayers. He said only prayer could cast out this type of demon. Jesus said very clearly, all you needed to do was pray. And this indictment that Jesus then is making on these disciples, it becomes very clear. These disciples... They didn't pray. Never once did they consider to pray at all. The situation, this, this demon-possessed boy, they thought they could handle it on their own. They thought, we've done this before. There's no reason why we can't do it now. We're good. We got this. Yet they lacked the power to do anything for this boy. Their failure to pray serves as a two-edged indictment on themselves. It shows first that they lacked a, a, a real faith in Jesus. And secondly, it showed that they had a strong faith in a weak Savior. They had a strong faith in themselves. See, a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer is evidence of a lack of faith in Jesus. And evidence of a strong faith in ourselves. When we fail to pray, it shows that we are lacking a faith in Jesus and that we are putting too much faith in ourselves. This is why in verse 19, Jesus said, call them a faithless generation. He said in verse 19, he said, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? See, these disciples, they had lost sight of an utter dependence upon God. They thought that the power belonged to them. They thought that they had some ability to control the power in their lives. This is the same reason why you and I don't pray. You and I don't pray because we think we can handle most situations that come in front of us. 
we presume upon God's grace. For example, we think, we think, we think we've got a good marriage because we're a really good husband. We think we've got a good marriage because we've learned the keys to a successful marriage. And that's what gives us such a great marriage. We, 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 we think things like, like we're good in our life and we have, we have prosperity in our life because we are such good people. We think I have a good job because I have such a strong work ethic and because I have all the skills necessary to do my job. And we begin to pursue upon ourselves for the things that happen in our lives. And we think that we can usually handle the situations that arise in our lives until, until something happens in our life that we can no longer control and we can't fix the problem. It isn't until we are overcome with some sort of disaster or some sort of evil that we begin to realize how dependent we really are upon God. See, listen to this. One of the commentators said this. He said, if you are without prayer, that's the same thing as being without power. Without prayer equals without power. No matter how much faith you have, prayer shows that you actually are putting a faith in Jesus. See, Jesus is teaching these disciples that they make very weak saviors. You and I, we, may, we make very weak saviors. We don't have the power to overcome disaster and evil within our lives. We have to have a faith and a dependence upon Jesus. So Jesus is teaching us that a strong faith and a weak savior is without power. But there's another lesson that Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus teaches us that a, even a weak faith and a strong Savior, that's Jesus, a weak faith and a strong Savior has unbelievable power, tremendous power. Remember, this whole issue began because this father brought his son to be healed by Jesus. And the way that, that Jesus interacted with the father is, is going to be a great picture of what our faith is supposed to look like. So Jesus asked, Jesus asked the boy, asked, asked the father, hey, bring the boy to me. And, and, and the, the, the boy had another seizure right there in front of Jesus. It said in verse 20, starting in verse 20, it said, when the spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell down on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, the, he said, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, well, it's been happening since childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. That's what the father says next. He says, but if you can, if you can have compassion on us and help us. See, that father used a phrase that you and I are probably all too familiar with. He said, Jesus, Jesus, if you can, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion. Jesus, if you can. I mean, this father, he's already been let down by who knows how many countless people? He's probably gone through every medical option he could seeking relief. And every medical option brought no relief to the boy. I mean, the father brought his son to the disciples of Jesus. And he said, can you guys do something for him? And the disciples couldn't do anything. They let him down. So you can picture, you can picture how this father is feeling. He is, he is wondering, man, Jesus, can you do any better? I mean, can you do any better? Let's be honest, though. How many, of us do, how many of us pray prayers just like this? 
You know, we don't go boldly to God and ask for his interaction in our lives. We, we have these little caveats. Like, God, if it's your will, would you do this now? God, if you can. God, if you're able. It's kind of like we begin to protect ourselves. It's kind of like we protect ourselves from really going boldly and asking for God to do something mighty. Because, because what happens is there's times that we pray to God. We say, God, here's what's going on in my life. God, here's, here's how I could use your interaction. And sometimes when God doesn't do what we want him to do, sometimes when God doesn't respond the way that we think we should, we, we, we get confused. And we, we, we confuse the, the perfect sovereignty of God, the fact that God has plans for every one of our lives, the fact that God is in control of everything that happens in our lives. Romans 8.28 says, And we know for those who love God that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We forget that prayer. And when God doesn't show up the way that we think he should, we think, God, you're not able. God, you're not loving. God, you don't care. God, you're not doing what I think you should. So God, maybe you're not even real. And so what happens is instead of us boldly going to God and asking God to intervene, but then trusting his plan, we put these little caveats. Hey, you know, God, if this is your will, if you're willing, God, if you can, God, if you're able, could you do something in my marriage right now? Because my marriage is on the rocks. God, I don't know if you can. If you can. We confuse the perfect sovereignty of God in our lives with his ability. We think he's not doing anything because maybe he's unable, maybe because he doesn't care. And so we pray prayers just like this, Father. God, if you can, if you can. And what we really are beginning to do is we begin to lower our expectations of what God can actually do. We begin to lower those expectations and say, God can't really fix my marriage. And so I'm going to throw this little caveat. God, if you will, God, if you can, would you do this? And what we're really beginning to do is lower our expectations of what we anticipate God can do. So Jesus heard this word by the father, if you can. And Jesus picks up on that and he calls out that lack of faith. He says in verse 23, he says, if you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus responded with this incredible statement saying the problem wasn't in his ability the problem was in the father's ability to believe he says there is nothing impossible for one who believes because with god all things are possible so what the father was praying when he said jesus if you can it was actually exposing his unbelief it was exposing that he didn't have a a, a full and complete trust in god now this verse right here can be one of the most extraordinarily abused texts in the Bible. Jesus just said, all things are possible for one who believes. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and I? What does that mean this morning? Some interpret this passage to mean that if the father just had enough faith, if he just believed enough that he could have had his son healed. Believes he just needed to, to have more faith. He needed to believe a little bit more. And if he would have had enough faith, then, then his son would have been healed. And he wouldn't be before Jesus at this point. Is that, is, that, is that what this text means? All things are possible for one who believes. If we have enough faith, if we have enough faith, then anything we want will happen. It's kind of like if we have enough faith, then Jesus becomes our genie in a bottle. and We can have whatever we want. 
And so if that's the case, if that's the case, if I have enough faith, then tonight when I go to bed with my sweet white 1998 Oldsmobile 88 with scratches on the door, you know, if I go to bed tonight with enough faith, could that car turn into some sweet like pickup truck with like four by four big, big wheels on it. I mean, could that happen tonight where tomorrow morning I'd wake up because I have enough faith and there's some sweet ride in front of my house and I can ride in style instead of riding in the grandma car. Just kidding. Hey, I'm, I'm down with it. God provided. I mean, if I have enough faith, is that possible? I mean, if I, if all things are possible for him who believes, so that means if I have enough faith and I believe enough, does that mean that I can make my receding hairline go away. I really would love to be able to do that. I mean, I, I've tried everything to get rid of that receding hairline. It just doesn't work. If I have enough faith, does that mean that can happen? I mean, I mean, if I had enough faith, if we had enough faith, could we go back to Super Bowl 49 and tell Pete Carroll, run the ball from the one-yard line. Don't throw that ball. Run it with Marshawn Lynch and score the touchdown and win the Super Bowl. I mean, all things are possible for one who believes, right? Can't we have enough faith and go back and change what happened? See, I don't think that, that this means that if we have enough faith, that anything we want can happen if we trust in God. See, I think what this means is that we can have anything that God wants when we trust in God. We can have anything that God wants when we trust in him. This isn't some way to manipulate God to be our genie in a bottle to give us whatever we want. It means that we can have anything that God wants when we trust in God. This means, this means that it is possible for Jesus to care for a boy who's possessed by a demon spirit. This means that it is possible for God to care about your marriage and to solve the issues within our marriage, within our family, within our workplace. This means that it is possible for us when we're in time of, of hardship and, and, and mourning and deep and painful death and mourning that we can be like Job and we can say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think when Jesus says all things are possible for him who believes, I think that means we have the ability to be like Job and to say things like Job said. When he says all things are possible for him who believes, I think that means that it is possible for us to turn the other cheek when we've been wronged, when we've been violated. I think that means that it is possible for us to go the second mile, even when we don't think people deserve it. I think this means all things are possible for him who believes. I think it means that we can, we can overcome evil with good. That we can, that we can, uh, that, that it's possible for me to be poor in spirit and to mourn over my sin and to be pure in heart. See, all things are possible for him who believes means that whatever God can ask of me, whatever God can ask of you, whatever duty, whatever command, whatever God puts in your life, it is possible for you and me, if I believe, to bear any burden, to cross any river, to endure any pain, to suffer any loss, to pass through any shame. All of those things are possible to endure and to withstand and to overcome for one who believes. I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. All things are possible for him who believes. 
But it's how the father responds to Jesus that I think we need to learn from. Jesus said, Jesus said, if I can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And the father responds in verse 24. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out. And he said, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Jesus just confronted his, his weakness and his lack of faith. But the father, he didn't shy away. He pressed into Jesus. He leaned in and said, Jesus, would you give me more? Jesus, I believe. Would you help me in the areas that I'm weak? Would you give me more belief? See, unfortunately, this, this is not how most of us respond when Jesus reveals our lack of faith. Often, when, when we are convicted over a lack of faith, what we end up doing is we end up pulling back. We end up, we end up taking st- a step backwards and pull away as if we've got to try and get our lives right. We've got to get ourselves made right before God will, will do anything for us. And so when we're convicted over our lack of faith, we, we cower and we decide, we decide we can't ask God for anything right now because I'm too messed up. I've got to get my life put back in order before God's actually going to show up and interact and move on my behalf. But this is not what the father is teaching us. This father, he owned his weakness. He said, man, I do believe it's not a perfect belief. I have some belief. Jesus, would you help me in my unbelief? He owned his weakness. He didn't deny it. He didn't become bitter about it. He said, I own that. You're right, Jesus. I do believe, not fully, but help me in my unbelief. And while we tend to move away, when we tend to back off, he pressed in through that prayer. He cried out and was honest in his lack of faith. He ran to Jesus and said, Jesus, you're right. I don't have a perfect faith, but Jesus, would you help me believe more? Jesus, would you give me more faith? And, and look how Jesus responds. Verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. See, the most amazing thing happened by the father's weak prayer, by the father's weak faith. Jesus acted. Jesus responded. Jesus moved. Jesus did what the father needed. He responded and he undid what evil had done in his little boy for years, all because the father cried out in weakness. See, this father knew the weakness was in him, but he knew that Jesus was the solution. He knew that the boy, he wouldn't be healed. He wouldn't be fixed by the father becoming smarter, by the father becoming stronger, by the father becoming more wise. He knew that the only solution for his son was Jesus. And he put himself completely and utterly dependent upon Jesus to help him with everything that he needed. So here's the whole picture of this story. That even the weakest faith Even our weakest faith, when it is placed in the right object, when it is placed in Jesus Christ, has access to tremendous power through God. Even our weakest faith, when it is put in the right object, has tremendous power. Jesus, the King, he holds all things together. 
And it is, it is absolutely adultery for us to act as if somebody else could save or as if Jesus lacked anything. And this is why Jesus demands faith. And he demands our faith be expressed through prayer. Because what prayer does is prayer recognizes who Jesus is. Prayer shows us that we, uh, prayer is a a symbol of our faith, that we're recognizing we don't have the answer in ourselves, which is why we are crying out to God in prayer. I mean, this father, by coming to Jesus, he's acknowledging, Jesus, I don't have the ability to do anything for my son now. This is why I'm crying out to you, Jesus, because I need you, because I can't do it on my own. And this is what prayer shows. When we cry to God in prayer, we're saying, Jesus, I don't have the ability on my own. But Jesus, I know you do. Jesus, I know you can. See, what's awesome is even though Jesus demands faith, he doesn't demand perfection. He doesn't demand perfection for him to act. I mean, truthfully, this father's prayer was probably one of the weakest prayers in the entire Bible. I mean, it lacked conviction. It lacked single-mindedness. I mean, he knew Jesus could do it, but he still had doubt. He still had fear. He still had, Jesus, can I really trust? I know you're the answer, but can I really trust? But Jesus heard him, even in that weak prayer. He heard him, and he responded. See, faith is nothing more than us crying out for help. Faith is not powerful in and of itself. It's powerful when it's placed in Jesus. So even our weak faith still has access to power because of him. So let's just kind of recap what we've heard today. Jesus and Peter and James and John, they come off the Mount of Transfiguration. They just saw Jesus glorified, the disciples did, and they saw this picture of heaven on earth, and they didn't want to leave. But Jesus took them down from the Mount of Glory into a valley of brokenness a valley of sin, a valley of unbelief. Jesus was getting his disciples ready for life after Jesus was gone. Then and now, both for those disciples in that day and for you and I today, we follow Jesus. And we're called to minister to others around us. We're called to to love people around us. But typically, when we're loving people like this, we're not living our lives on the mountaintop where everything's good and gravy and happy. We live our lives in the valley with sin and destruction and difficulty and hardship and broken things all around us. Just like those disciples, you and I, we will come face to face with difficulty, with with evil, with, with, with sin. We'll see it in the world. We'll also see it in our own lives. And we are powerless to overcome the things that have gone, gone, gone. I speak for a living, I do. We are powerless to overcome the things that have gone wrong. That's the word I was looking for, gone. It's only a four-letter word. Uh, uh, we are powerless to overcome the things that have gone wrong in our world. With circumstances and things that we don't know how to deal with, it's obvious that we are like that father. We don't have a full faith in Jesus. But I'll tell you, the faith in the valley, this is what it looks like. It looks like us not understanding all the things about God, not understanding how God works and and what moves God. But faith in the valley, faith in everyday life, looks like us running to Jesus when we're weak, 
Casting everything on him. Casting our weakness. Casting our pain. Casting our hardship. Casting our fear. Casting our anxiety. Casting our our struggles. Casting our doubt. Casting our unbelief at the foot of Jesus in prayer. And saying, Jesus, I don't have the answer, but I know you are the answer. And I don't understand how it works, but Jesus, I'm crying out to you because there's no one else who can do this. 1 Peter 5. The Apostle Peter gave us some words in verse 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We cry out to Jesus, not because we're strong, but because he's strong. We recognize our weakness, and we are to repent of our lack of faith and run to Jesus all the more. Restoration Church. Again, we live in that valley. That's where we live. I wish everything was on a mountaintop experience. I wish we could have all those times when everything is good and gravy and our faith is perfect and everything's going really well. I just have not found that to be life. I found those mountaintop experiences to be every so often. I find that we live in the valley. And see, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus in the valley of difficulty, in, in all the things that go wrong in our world. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of prayer. Acknowledging before God, I don't have the answer. I don't have the strength to overcome. But Jesus, you do. Too often we look for those mountaintop experiences to, to cure all the things that have gone wrong in our world. Or we think that because we don't have it all together, because we don't have life just right, because our faith isn't perfect, that, that's because sometimes we're a mess, because we don't have a perfect faith, because we don't know all the Sunday school answers, that there's no way that God would actually listen to us. There's no way that God would respond to our prayers because, you know, we're still sinful. We're still broken. There's no way that God would listen and, and show up in my life because I'm a broken person. But look, this is, look at what Jesus just taught us. The only thing, the only thing that overcomes the difficulty and the evil in the valley, in the world, is, 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 a, is a faith in Jesus that is exhibited through prayer. That God can take a weak faith of a father who doesn't have all the answers, and God can respond and move and do a miracle in his life, then why can't God do the same in our lives? Even as broken as we are, even as imperfect as we are, when we put even our weak faith in that strong Savior, we have access to tremendous and unbelievable power of God. This is what Jesus modeled for us on the cross. His greatest triumph over evil, it didn't happen on the mountaintop of glory, but it happened in the valley of brokenness. He was confronted with the greatest evil in the world. He was confronted with all of our sins. And he overcame it by suffering on the cross, by crying out to his father. Jesus gave us his life. Jesus gave his life so that we as his people, that we could have an audience with God at all times. We can feel wayward and we can feel weak, but we still must cry out to him and ask for his work in our lives, because that is where the power is. Would you pray with me? God, I am thankful that you are a God 
who is strong enough to save. God, I'm thankful that you are a God who has all power and all ability. God, I'm thankful that you are a God who has the power to repair our broken relationships. You have the power to rebuild broken marriages. You have the power to give us uh, the, the, the confidence we need, to give us the strength we need to carry on. God, you have power over joblessness. You have power over, over, over waywardness. You have power over the, the addiction of sin. God, you have that power. God, I pray that you would help us to see everyone else in here today, that we would see that we are, uh, we are very weak saviors. That our faith and our confidence should not be in ourselves, but it needs to be in you. Because, God, you are the strong savior. You are the one who is worthy and able. God, I pray for those in here today who they've been putting their faith in so many other things, in themselves, in in, in money, in, in, in status, whatever it is, in a relationship. That, God, you would help them see today that all of those things make very weak saviors. That, God, you are the only one who saves. That you have access to all that power. God, I pray that you help us to see how weak we really are and how strong you really are. That we would cry out to you now in prayer, acknowledging that, God, we don't have the answers. But you do. We don't have the strength. But you do. God, I pray for those of us in here who feel, man, I'm not worthy. I don't have all the answers. I've got brokenness in my life. I've got sin. God, if you just, pastor, if you just knew the things I've done. God, I pray that you would help us to understand who this father was. That he was not perfect. He didn't have everything together. He didn't have a perfect faith. But he had a weak faith in the right savior. And that was what was needed. God, I pray that you help us to see that. That as weak of our, as our faith is, when it's placed in the right object, that we have access to you. God, I pray for every one of us in here today that we would be able to cry out to you. Even in an imperfect faith. Even a faith with doubt and struggle that we can cry out to you. And that God, you will meet us here in that place. And God, now as we have the opportunity to respond to your word through a couple of uh, songs of worship. God, I pray that your spirit would continue doing work in our hearts. That, God, you would help us during this time of of response. That, God, we would spend some time just praying before you. Acknowledging, God, we don't have the answer. God, we don't know the next step to take. But, God, maybe today you would give us that knowledge. You would give us that direction. Maybe today your your love and your grace would, would come upon us and we would feel it in tremendous ways and that we would know that you are with us. God, I pray for your spirit to pour out on us during this time of response. God, I pray for those who just need to take this time and cry out to you that they would do that. God, I pray for, for those of us who just need to, to listen to the words we're about to sing and acknowledge just how mighty you are, how strong and how loving you are. That we would cry out and put our faith in you today, again and again and again. And Jesus, I pray that this just wouldn't be something that we do on Sunday morning. But God, that we would carry this throughout our week. That we would remember that our strong faith, our faith in you is is portrayed through prayer. That that's how we acknowledge that we are weak saviors and you are the strong savior. 
God, I pray over the next few minutes as we respond to your word that you would continue to move in our hearts. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name.